0: My oh God, how I need you. I can grab a seat. Welcome to RUF. If I've not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Sammy, I'm the campus minister. And for us, starting after spring break through the rest of the semester, we're going through a short series in Ecclesiastes. And um, tonight we're coming to the theme of Wisdom and the Will of God. And we're using Selena Gomez's 2020 uh, beautiful album, Rare, to, to kind of frame our series. And tonight we're doing Dance Again, aka Wisdom and the Will of God. But here's what she sings in Dance Again, Selena. Happiness ain't something you sit back and wait for. Mm-mm. Uh-huh. Confidence isn't throwing your heart through every brick wall. Mm-mm. Uh-huh. I'm just going to do it every time. I'm just going to do it every time. I kickstart the rhythm. All the drama's in remission. No, I don't need permission. Feel so, feel so, feel so good to dance again. Feel so, feel so, feel so good to dance again with my emotions. I'm just, I'm going in with everything to dance again. Feels so, feels so, feels so good. Why in the world are we quoting that, thinking about that? Because what I want to uh, get across tonight is when we come to like a biblical understanding of the will of God, there is incredible freedom for you and for me, and that's my hope for tonight. Is that as we look at, uh, you think, looking at Ecclesiastes two and three, which we're going to do in a second, my hope is to free you. Uh, that's why we read First Peter to free you to serve the Lord with gladness. To free you out of where we can get paralyzed. And am I doing the right, making the right decision? Um, but let's look at our scripture tonight. It's Ecclesiastes 2, 12 to 16. And Ecclesiastes 3, 22. And remember, the teacher is pushing us to ask hard questions. Ecclesiastes is a strange book in that way. where We're asking more questions. And part of our goal, as I teach it, preach it, is it's asking questions that if we take them to heart, are going to drive us to Jesus. But let's do Ecclesiastes 2, 12-16, and then 3.22. Then I turned my thoughts to consider wisdom, and also madness and folly. What more can the king's successor do than what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise have eyes in their heads while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And then I said to myself, the fate of the fool will overtake me also... What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. Like the fool, the wise too, must die. In 3, verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work, because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Let me pray for us, and then I want to jump in. Let's pray first. Our Lord, we thank you uh, for your word to us. We thank you for the book of Ecclesiastes. I pray that you would be our teacher, that you would be the one who wrestles um, with our own hearts. Lord, especially as we think about what you have for us, your plans, your purposes for us, as we think about living wisely in our days under the sun, I pray that you would be the one who, who teaches us, who encourages us, who convicts us in the ways that you alone can. We ask these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. To this point of sometimes the way we can wrongly think about the will of God, this was some years ago, and I think it, must have, it was either the Onion or the Babylon Bee, I'm not sure, but it was an article that I loved. I'm just going to read it. Gridlock reached as two men, both certain God told them to date same girl. Stressing the precariousness of the situation, inside sources confirmed Monday that a gridlock has been reached in the social lives of David Gall, 23. And Mark Cormier, 26, as both men are absolutely 100% certain that God had per- has personally instructed them to date local 22-year-old Stephanie Fair. I sought God's will when he told me to date Stephanie, Gaul confidently declared to sources. I know he did. There's not a doubt in my mind. God definitely told me to date Stephanie, Cormier similarly asserted. The signs he gave me were crystal clear. What am I supposed to do? Disobey God. Three discussion attempts between the two men have reportedly made no headway and have simply reinforced each man's belief that the other lacks godliness and is possibly being influenced by demonic forces. At publishing time, a fourth discussion was underway, and while neither man was open to the slightest possibility that perhaps God did not tell them to date Ms. Sphere, they seemed to be making a bit of progress as they collectively considered reexamining the Bible's teachings on polygamy. When it comes to thinking about God's will, college can be a weird time, right? Uh, On the one hand, it is a time where you do face some big decisions. uh, Dating, roommates, internships, careers, marriage. And if we're being honest, and if you're being honest, if I'm being honest, most often we just long for God to tell us, to show us what we should do. But it doesn't take super long, being a Christian, to realize that's not how God works. And so what I want to talk about tonight is... Is, well, how does he work? And I think three things have to happen in us if we're going to get to something like a healthy, biblical, freeing view of God's will. Uh, First, we have to change our expectations. Uh, Second, we have to avoid certain pitfalls. And then lastly, we've got to learn to patiently work the process. We've got to change our expectations. We have to avoid certain pitfalls. And then we have to patiently work the process that God has for us. So first, to change our expectations, that's where verse 15, what then do I gain by being wise? Wouldn't it be easier if God just gave us the end of the story first so that we can know what to do? Uh, I have a friend who drives me crazy. They always, when they, when they start a book, they read the last page first because they can't deal with the anxiety of not knowing where the story is going. But what I want you to see, and this is the expectation that we have to have changed in us, is that God is much more interested in the kind of person you're becoming than he is in just telling you simply his plans. We want God to tell us what to do, but he's much more interested in telling us who to be and working in us to change us into christ likeness. Uh, Think about it like this. We wish he would just tell us who to marry. And instead, he's inviting us to trust him, to trust him. In becoming the kind of person who is marryable and in seeking people who love him, who point us to him. Uh, we wish God would tell us where to move. And instead it seems like God is more interested in us becoming the kind of people who we heavily consider the potential for gospel-centered churches and deep real community and kingdom opportunities before we move somewhere. We wish God would tell us just what job we should take and instead it seems like he's more interested in making us people and us becoming people who courageously explore our own gifts who humbly ask others older and wiser and godlier than us what they see us doing we want God to tell us his will what he's going to do but the reality is he already has his will is for you and for me to grow in wisdom to stop obsessing about all the details and the plans so much as obsessing about the kind of people we're becoming. I thought about this. I ran into a guy at the Riverwalk, one of Columbia's best kept, to my Greenville people <laughs> who hate on Columbia, one of Columbia's best kept little secrets. And I uh, on the walking trail, I ran into this old guy. His name's Barry. He's an old friend. I I forget this conversation I had with Barry. He's a, a really talented musician. But his wife also is a really talented musician. But he was talking about one time the difference between his wife the way that she plays music and the way he plays music. He was saying the way that she plays music is basically sheet music. She knows how to read music and she knows how to follow it to a T versus himself. He's much more gifted at improvising and kind of playing by feel. And that stuck with me because I think part of what we're talking about in discerning the will of God is that. Is that God is interested in you and me learning to play by feel. Meaning learning to be skillful as those who grasp the grace of the grace of God who are being changed by the grace of God, but learning to play by feel to, to, to skillfully handle the gray areas of life because we live so close to him, because we live close to his heart now if you 're listening, maybe you 're thinking or maybe you 've started to realize that this is kind of a, a radically different approach than maybe what we 're used to. this is certainly not the kind of uh, understanding of god 's will I grew up with um, in fact, I think most of us think about it like this. God has a will for me, and it's my job to figure it out. And I think this says something about our view of God that's off. Because it it, it almost pretends that God is sort of sneaky, that he's sort of hidden, when the Bible is super clear that he's neither, that he doesn't delight in hiding things from us, nor does he delight in pulling the rug out from under us. Uh, but instead... Uh, he, he's full of goodness and mercy to us. We can trust him. And this is point two. Well, okay, well, then what are the pitfalls that we need to avoid that maybe we're prone to falling into? And I've got uh, five for us, but think about verse 16. For the wise like the fool will not be long remembered. Uh, there is something humbling in this thought. And I think there are pitfalls coming out of it that we are uh, prone to that we need to learn to avoid, and there are five of them. If you want to follow with me, uh, and I'm just going to try to be as honest and vulnerable as I can. Uh, number one is signs. Making decisions based on signs, uh, rather than telling you what to do. God, fully, God, this is how we think about it. God carefully places little clues, little clues for you and me to gather and decipher what He wants us to do. This was me, my freshman year here. Had a horrible first semester, that's a longer story. I thought Clemson was the promised land. So I was like, okay, but I was trying to make a decision. Do I stay here, or do I go to Clemson? And I'll never forget, driving around Columbia in the summer, and I would see a Clemson sticker and think, yes, Lord, this is your will for me. And then like two seconds later, I'd see a Carolina sticker and think, ah, this is confusing. (laughs) And then I would see a Clemson sticker and be like, yes, Lord, this is, and then, you know, And I was like, what was I doing? (laughs) That's not not the way that God works. He doesn't give us little clues, little little breadcrumb trails for us to figure it out. It's a terrible view of who God is. He's never presented in Scripture as sneaky or cruel or confusing or confounding. That's not the God of the Bible. He's revealed himself in clarity. He wants us to know him and to follow him and to trust him. So first signs. Second is what I'm going to call Bible roulette. Here's what I mean by that. This is where we do that thing where we need some help deciding whether we should take this job or that job. And we randomly open the Bible looking for a word from God. And it says something like, and then Judas went and hanged himself. And we're like, oh, okay. You think, okay, maybe second time's a charm. And you open the Bible and it says, and then Jesus said, go and do likewise. And you're like, okay, this is not a helpful deal. Uh, This was me junior year. I had met a girl that I was sure as a junior I was going to marry. Some of you know this story. I'm just going to share it anyways again. Uh, I'm at this Bible camp retreat and I'm, she's like not into me yet and I'm really my prayer journal. Oh, <laughs> do you ever go back to your prayer journal and just find where you were at a certain age? This was where I was. It was just filled with sort of you know, unrequited love toward this girl. And I remember reading, opening Nehemiah and reading Nehemiah, it's a short little book, and thinking, "I get it, Lord. You want me to, st- <laughs> you want me to build the wall of this relationship with this girl. I get it." And I, I didn't get it because that's not the point of Nehemiah, right? The, po- the point of Nehemiah was not to guide me in this relationship. Uh, the Bible is always meant to be read in its context, which means it's going to take years of studying and listening to people smarter than you and me to know how to apply it wisely to our lives. And also, the Bible ultimately, in a freeing way, is much more about Jesus. Nehemiah has something more beautiful to say about Jesus' faithfulness to us than it was about this bad relationship that I was trying to stay in. Uh, so, signs, Bible roulette. Three, open doors. I want to be careful here. But this is where uh, we can think, oh, God opened this door, but maybe we minimize that nowhere in the Bible does it say just because we could do something doesn't, that, that we should do something. Sometimes there are several doors open at once, and none of them close. Sometimes we have to knock on some doors. Uh, sometimes I have a friend that likes to say when God closes a door, he opens a Target, and we go and we shop ourselves into comfort. Uh, But oftentimes we still, there are multiple open doors and we need wisdom in figuring out which one to go through. And number four is feelings of peace. This is where we wait to do something until we feel some sort of warm feeling of reassurance that we should indeed do that thing we feel like God is telling us to do. But here's the thing is imagine Jesus in the garden. Do you think he had some warm feeling of peace? As Luke describes, he sweat blood in the garden and felt the anxiety of the cross he was about to face. A lot of times what we don't need is peace. Instead, what we need is courage to do the next right thing, to follow Jesus and where he's leading us. And then fifth, this is the tricky one, is God told me. This is where we do that thing, where we Blame all the things we don't want to do on Jesus and baptize all the things that we want to do in his name. Uh, I like the way that Kevin DeYoung tells the story. You can read it in your handout. He says it like this. He says, we need to be careful that we aren't using God as the trump card in all our decisions. If we say God told me to do this or God's leading me here, this puts our decisions out of reach from criticisms or concerns. We should choose some different terminology. I prayed about it, and this seems best, or it seems like the Lord is leading would be a more helpful way of communicating our dependence on God. (laughs) I love this little story. I'll never forget my poor beleaguered roommate talking with me after he took a risk and told a nice young lady that he liked her. It turned out that she wasn't interested. But instead of just saying, I'm not interested, or I don't like you, or quit stalking me, she went all spiritual on him. "I've (laughs) I've been praying a lot about you, and the Holy Spirit told me no. Poor guy. He got rejected not only by this sweet girl, but by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) The third person of the Trinity took a break from pointing people to Jesus to tell this girl not to date my roommate. I didn't know that it was the Spirit's job description, but I bet at any Christian school, just say any Christian community, there are scores of men and women blaming God for their breakups. Here's the reality. I think behind these five pitfalls, there are two big heart issues that are really maybe the heart of the matter. Here's number one is growing up is hard. It's a painful experience. And I think sometimes we're terrified of the the responsibility that it brings and it means. What if we choose the wrong thing? And then worse than that, what if we fail? And then I think the other one is, if I'm being honest with you, in my heart of hearts, I don't want to have to live in such a way where I'm dependent upon God, where I trust Him. Um... I don't want to have to continue to trust him in ways that feel vulnerable to me and where I don't know where this thing is going. But the promise for us is that he's promised to be with us every step of the way. And he's shown his commitment to us on the cross. And the cross is the ultimate place where we know that God is both for us and with us. And we can trust him, Paul says, because he did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all. How will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? And the truth for you and for me is that he's more committed to helping us grow up and become wise Christians than he is simply in babying us by telling us what to do. And maybe better than that, we can follow him courageously, joyfully, taking risks for the kingdom because we know he's so committed to our good that he gave up that which was most precious to him, Jesus. That we might be lacking no good thing. I I love the way that Charles Spurgeon will say it. He he often says it like this. When we cannot trace his hand and what he's doing, we still can trust his heart. Jesus is what we have. And that means we don't need signs or feelings or I I guess we do need open doors. You know what I mean? We have Jesus. Jesus is the assurance that God is going to take care of us. And that's the last thing I want you to see is then we begin to work the process. That's chapter 3, verse 22. There's nothing better for a person than to enjoy their work. If God is much more concerned that we are becoming men and women of steadfast love, there's a process he invites us into, a process of wisdom. And again, five things. We'll get through them pretty quickly. Uh, just little tips of kind of what does it look like to try to, to live you know, to live uh, with wisdom. Here's number one. We let God's word guide us as much as possible. It's interesting. We could ask to do it this way. What is God's will for you? First Thessalonians would be an interesting place to turn for this is the will of God for you. Your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. And Paul is saying something profound and applying it specifically to one of many areas where we can struggle. But God's will for you is your sanctification. And we keep going to God's word to grow us and to show us and to teach us and to guide us in wisdom. Two, we begin to ask kingdom-oriented questions. Let's just say it like this. You've got two job offers, one in Charlotte, the other in Greenville. We typically ask questions like this. What does it pay? What are the benefits? Which city is more fun, et cetera. But the better questions might be, is there a good gospel-centered church that I could get involved with? Is there a potential for community and friendship for me? Are there good opportunities for me to serve according to my gifts? Three, we pray for wisdom. Uh, many times there isn't a right or wrong choice, but there is a wise or foolish choice. Should I stay here and go to grad school? Or should I go somewhere out of town? It could be wiser to be here, to live at home, to save money. But maybe you've got a tough relationship with your parents and you need to break out and get away. And and the way to do that is going to be to pay down, to work hard, to pay down some of those loans. It's not a simple choice, but we pray for wisdom. Four, we gather as much information as we can. What's the work environment like? Where does this guy or girl see themselves long term? Where am I going to be a year from now? Uh, Information won't always help us make the decision. But wisdom means always being as well-informed as we possibly can. And then five, and maybe this is the bigger one, I think, to me, is we seek wise counsel. Uh, We ask older people who know us and love us and love Jesus lots of questions, such as, do you see us together? Do you see me living here? Do you see me in this job? Uh, We don't do it in a way that we're getting others to make decisions for us, but we do it in a way where we're seeking humility. Where we're trying to get the best help and advice that we need. And this is the last thing I'll leave, I'll leave us with. What if we do all these things and we still feel paralyzed? Uh, Anne Lamott, she's one of my favorite writers. She has this great question in her famous book on writing called Bird by Bird. And she, does, she says at this her handout. If you are what you do and you fail, what then? If you are what you do and you fail, what then? And I think this is the heart of what I want you to take away. There is a way of doing the Christian life. There is a way of doing life under the sun. There is a way of doing wisdom. There is a way of thinking about the will of God where the pressure is on. Where you feel that pressure. Where if you're being honest, I watch my kids and I see this. You are terrified of making a mistake. And it smacks of, if you are what you do and you fail, what then? But what if you are what Christ did? What if I am what Christ did? What if Jesus really is my righteousness? What if Jesus is more than my righteousness? He's my sanctification and your sanctification. What if your future is so secure because it is in Jesus And because you are going to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and because the day is coming where your faith will be sight, what if your future is so secure that you can't mess it up, that you can't blow it, where the pressure is off, because you belong to Jesus, and he's got you. Mistakes and sins and struggles and all, he sees you and he knows you and he loves you and he's got you. And that's the good news for you and for me. The pressure is off. We've been forgiven and freed. We belong to him. He loves us and has already shown us that if he's taking care of our deepest need, how will he not also take care of all of our other needs along with it? The gospel gives us freedom to fail even and know that we can't screw it up. He doesn't, it doesn't mean he always tells us his plans. But it does mean he always, always, always fulfills his purposes for you and for me to grow you into becoming and being a wise believer who loves with a full heart and he will never break his promises to you. He's already shown you at the cross how with you and for you he is and we can trust him. Let's pray. Our Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust you. I pray that you would help us to know you. Lord, we can't do that apart from your grace and apart from your spirit. Lord, I pray for those of us, especially who are wrestling with decisions, wrestling with life plans, uh, just wrestling with uncertain futures, that you would meet us and free us, uh, that we could uh, not just trust you, but that we could be hopeful in what you have for us, even in the uncertainty and the scary parts of it. Would you help us to believe your love for us? Lord, that is so hard for us to do. And I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would meet us in all of our anxieties and worries. I pray that you would keep, continue to guide us in self-control and wisdom. Would you continue to grow us by your grace to be more and more and more beautifully like your son, Jesus. Lord, we need this. We ask these things. through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please stand and sing our last song with us.